But I think that our ideas of kind of terroir or, you know, just the geographical region kind of imparting some flavor on a specific coffee um, might be a little bit more antiquated. From Humble Coffee, this is Coffee 101, a show about coffee. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and every week my coffee friends and I are bringing you the absolute best coffee education you can find out there in the coffee verse. If you're new to the show, I'd recommend starting with the first episode. Coffee 101 is designed to build your coffee knowledge in chronological order from the ground up. Coffee 101, go ahead, pat yourself on the back. Your coffee game just leveled up. Have you ever wondered where your coffee comes from? Like, literally, like the origin. Where does it come from? I can tell you a secret. It doesn't come from the United States. It usually comes from somewhere just north and south of the equator, between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn. What does a coffee tree need, or a coffee bean, or seed, need to flourish? It needs sun, but not too much, and not too little. No frost. Water, but just the right amount. Usually a tropical environment. And it needs a stable government and established trade routes. There are several different regions that you can break up origins for coffee into. There's the Americas, there's Africa, and there's Asia or Indonesia. Some people break it up into even other regions besides that, but those are the main regions. Today, I'm joined by my good friend Omar Herrera with Cafe Imports out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Omar, what's up, dude? Hey, Kenneth. How's it going? Good, man. So I thought, okay, who could I bring on the show that could just like crush it when it comes to uh, talking about origins and really giving our 101ers a, a good feel for for where our coffee comes from. And thought about my good friend Omar, and uh, he has been at Cafe Imports, which is a coffee importer, uh, which we'll talk about in detail on a future episode, what that means. And he has been doing this for how many years, did you say? About eight years now. Okay, cool. And originally from Chicago. Correct. And our listeners can't see it, but you're rocking a pretty awesome mustache. <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, it's been my p- pandemic style. There you go. <laughs> well, cool. So you and I were talking before the show, and, and you said that, um, well, we, we really will talk about all the coffee origins, but let's start with where you shine, which is Columbia. So tell us a little bit about what you do um, as it relates to Columbia and as it relates to coffee, and then what that means for our coffee drinker. Yeah, so I am a, my title is Green Coffee Buyer um, for Columbia. It's the only origin that I deal with. Most of the other buyers have different origins, but Columbia itself for us represents a huge part of our menu. Um, so it is my sole job and that's, that's what I do. Uh, it entails basically making and keeping connections with folks down in Columbia who, uh, I would say organize coffee or export coffee, um, so that we can get coffee from a wide variety of regions and farmers down in Columbia. And then I organize all the logistics on my end to get those 
those bags of coffee to the United States, Europe, Australia, basically everywhere we do business. That's right. And so Cafe Imports, y'all have, um, like you said, you have a warehouse in the United States and then Australia and somewhere else, right? Yeah, well, we, we have uh, one warehouse that we own and operate in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's right down the street from our office. Um, Minneapolis is where the company is from. It was founded in 91 by Andrew Miller. Um, and basically, uh, we started off being just kind of like a Midwestern company selling to him driving around in his dock truck, selling coffee beans right out of his truck. Yeah. Um, to now a company that has about 60 employees worldwide. We have an office in Berlin, Germany, where we also have a warehouse in Hamburg, a third-party warehouse, and where we also have uh, a warehouse in uh, London. Cool. So coming out of Colombia, so you have, um, I'd say Brazil and Colombia are probably two origins that that a lot of people um, are familiar with or or at least they feel like they're familiar with um, and if if they're drinking um, some lighter roast coffees uh, like a lot of us in the specialty coffee world prefer I, I mean you can get some some really really great coffees I think out of Colombia yeah I think it's a uh... I guess we can start with Colombia. Yeah, it's a very interesting origin, and that's one of two origins out there in the world, um, along with Kenya, that have two harvest cycles per year. Okay. So a lot of different regions um, have different microclimates in Colombia. It's a very, very diverse uh, country in terms of ecology, um, and the the uniqueness of each origin kind of makes Colombia a place where you can find coffees that taste just about like just about anything. Yep. And y'all had uh, cafe imports a few years ago. I'm, I'm pulling it up now had a pretty cool map. Uh, we'll, we'll see if we can link to, um, um, the cafe imports website in the show notes here, but a pretty cool map that showed all of the different or a lot of the different, uh, regions where, coffee is harvested and even within those regions. So like I'm looking at Colombia right now and you've got at least a dozen different uh, regions where um, green coffee is harvested. I think uh, technically there's about 16 recognized regions in Colombia that are producing coffee. Um, They range from as far as uh, north, Santa Marta, Magdalena area, all the way down to south, Nariño, kind of near the border of Ecuador, running kind of along the mountains uh, at an elevation of about 1,200 to 2,200 in some cases, yeah. meters above sea level. Um, so it, again, it is very diverse. It's I think uh, it is the third largest origin in terms of exports. Right. Um, however, the federal or the FNC considers it to be the first in exports for mild washed Arabicas. Okay. Um, which is, uh, as you know, Arabicas are, are the kind of coffees that you and I deal with, specialty coffee people deal with. 
Right. And uh, washed for our one-on-oneers out there. We'll talk about that in a future episode when we're talking about the processing. And we'll just suffice it to say that that gives you, um, we'll see what Omar says, a, a good clean cup uh, that, um, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. It's what most people have if they've had coffee. You know, when you dive deeper, then you start getting into things like naturals and even some of the anaerobic and uh, processing methods, stuff like that. That is correct. And so we talked a little bit about Columbia. One one question I had um, is when you're looking at the origin, you talked about the different microclimates and the elevations and stuff like that. Does it all taste the same? I would say it doesn't. I would say that uh, a developed palate even a non-developed palate can taste the differences um, and similarities between coffees from the North and some from the South. Um, I think that a lot of that has to do with not only the microclimates, uh, the particular soils in certain areas, their elevation, uh, but also just tradition. Um, And I think people themselves. So we, we, we have, you know, a general kind of understanding that coffees from the North are typically chocolatey, nutty, a little bit citric, kind of mild. Um, But I would say that that's primarily because of the tradition out there. Uh, And that's also kind of what we look for as importers and exporters when we're looking for coffees in those areas, right? So I think that it kind of develops uh, in and of itself, kind of just keeps keeps the cycle going. Um, And it's not necessarily just because it's in Colombia or because it's in a certain region, um, but because the traditions and customs in those areas. Right. It's so. I definitely agree. Uh, at Humble Coffee, I know, for example, they source coffee from Nariño, and um, that, because it's a higher elevation, just tends to, at least for me, taste different um, you know, than some of the other regions. But, you know, one thing I was thinking about as you were talking is you said that earlier that you're the basically one of the buyers or the buyer for or the relationship guy or however you want to say it for Columbia. Um, Talk a little bit about like in your situation, in your part of all of the coffee chain. And we talk about the many hands and many faces that go towards a cup of coffee ultimately you specializing in like really really honing your skills for you know this region traditionally should taste like this if it's processed like this and stuff like that but also um you know it compared to to different regions and and even different countries does that make sense um yeah so kind of just a a comparison of of how these different origins kind of impart their flavor on the coffee. Right. And even different regions within uh, different countries. So like, for example, I guess this is what I'm trying to say is um, you would have a more refined palate to say, okay, this coffee cups or scores an 87 and this one scores an 85 coming out of this region because this is the region that my palate is used to. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, I think I think it does. Um, 
as opposed to somebody like me who doesn't cup coffee every single day or cup coffee from a specific country or region. So, so I mentioned kind of best practices and, and how traditions and the people themselves kind of impart their own kind of flavor, the terroir, you know, right. in, a, in a certain um, region. I would say that, that in the past maybe 10 years, a lot of that has changed. So if I'm tasting a coffee from, let's say, Ethiopia, uh, or, or let's say I'm tasting a coffee in Colombia, mm-hmm. and I might use a description, tastes like an Ethiopian coffee. That could be that it's jasmine very floral, uh, a number of other things. And I'm using this kind of place that we all traditionally have this idea of flavor of. Um, but it isn't necessarily going to be correct. I think that a lot, especially with globalization and just how people are trading things so fast, mm-hmm. um, how they're trading seeds, how they're trading varieties, how they're trading ideas on processing methods, how they're trading cultivation methods, labor practices, all of those things. I think it's getting a lot harder to say this coffee tastes like a Mexican coffee mm-hmm. or this coffee tastes like a Colombian coffee. At the same time, I think a lot of us in this profession who are tasting coffees all the time still use those kinds of things, right? Yeah. Like I said, I, I did actually have uh, a Colombian coffee that was a geisha variety, um, produced and processed very well. And immediately I thought, is this an Ethiopian coffee? Mm. Now, I, of course, knew what I was tasting, but in my head, all I could think of was my traditional idea of Ethiopian coffees. Um, a lot of Ethiopian coffees have Gesha heirloom varieties. Uh, so I would say that, you know, that's not incorrect. Um, but I think that our ideas of kind of, uh, you know, maybe terroir or, you know, just the geographical region kind of imparting some flavor on, on, a, on a specific coffee um, might be a little bit more antiquated. Yeah. Uh, especially as, you know, like I said, we're, We've got, uh, there's a variety that we found uh, with one of our producer partners in Ecuador called mm-hmm. a Cidra. Um, that variety is now in the hands of a lot of our producer partners in Colombia. We're seeing a lot of the same, you know, wild berry-like kind of flavor notes and things like that, really clean acidity. Um, and I think part of it is because of this variety that was developed out in Ecuador. Um, but I also think you know, there's, there's definitely numerous reasons for how that coffee tastes that way. Um, so we do have these, you know, definite reference points. Um, but I would say that these days it's harder to tell, you know, this coffee comes from Nariño in Colombia yeah. versus Cauca in Colombia. I think that's super, super interesting. And, and I agree with you completely. And I, I think that, um, really until now, um, I don't know that I could have, uh, I would have been able to like put that to words. Uh, but yes, origin, I think, is one key to the big puzzle or it's one puzzle piece. But kind of like what you said, you also have the pH of the soil, you have the elevation, you have the average temperature. You have, if it's full sun or if it's shade, you have the varietal, you have the processing method. Um, you have all of these different things 
And I don't know that, I guess in my estimation, minus maybe the processing method, that there's one that really, really stands out to me as making a, a huge difference. Because, um, I mean, obviously, like a, like a dry processed or a natural tastes way different to me than the same bean that's um, wash processed. But, um, but you're right. The, the origin is important, and there are traditions still. Like if you look in um, some of the kind of Asia, Indonesia area, there, there are beans that they, uh, what's it called, uh, monsoon malabar? Um, wet hold process. Yeah. Yeah, so there's different unique um, ways that people either process them, harvest them, whatever, um, that, that may be unique to a region. But you're right everything is starting to be kind of globalized. You know, there's a there's a coffee that I really like that's out of uh, uh, Zambia that's just got a phenomenal um, sweetness, and it reminds me of something that I would get out of Guatemala, for example. Yeah, and, and, and like I said, I think that those, those kind of, uh, those patterns or that thought pattern of, you know, this tastes like a coffee from here is still very valid, but we're seeing that kind of go away. Um, but also to your point on processing method and how that's super different in Indonesia, they have wet hauled or gilling basa method. Yeah. Um, in, in India is where they have the, the monsoon Malabar kind of processing method in Colombia. Most of the coffees are washed. We're seeing a lot that are now being processed as naturals, but even within Colombia, even within just wash processed coffees, even within the same actual province or territory, Let's say Wheela, for example. The last time I was there, I noticed that in one town in Tarki, they're processing coffee, they're fermenting coffee for 72, 80 plus hours. Now, two hours south in another town, the tradition there was to process it for some 40 something hours, basically mm-hmm. two days. Yeah. Um, or to ferment it, sorry. And so, so I think that yeah, it's 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 always kind of hard to de- define and maybe generalize, but at the same time, there are these little indicators that, you know, in one area, um, especially in Colombia, a place as diverse as Colombia, um, one area's coffee may not taste entirely the same as a place just a few hours away, and and it's for a variety of different things. Let me ask you this: so, you coming in as like into. Uh, a country or an origin, and we'll say anybody, what is the, um, I guess, assumption from the actual coffee farmers themselves? You know, as far as like, not not after you've developed a relationship, but but as like, say us, and, and in mind in your example, you know, random people from the U.S. come into these uh, countries and try to build relationships with farmers, with farms, with regions. Like how how is that perceived? Um, yeah, I think that for the most part, it's very well welcome. Uh, I also think that especially you know unless it's a, a new to the industry coffee producer, most coffee producers are business people who are looking out for their bottom line. Um, who want a relationship with people, but also want what's best for their fa- their farm. 
which also means in a lot of cases, their family, right? And the people who are working for them as well. Um, so I think that in a lot of cases, uh, people um, are really excited to have people come down and visit them. I think it also, you know, kind of closes that loop a little bit. Um, having, let's say, a roaster come down to origin and meet with coffee producers, uh, especially if that coffee producer has a coffee that this person roasted. Right. Um, it's a really cool uh, kind of full circle thing to see happen. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of coffee producers are really excited when that does happen. Right. Now, the difficulty is the opposite isn't always possible. You know, um, producers, anyone getting into the United States from a foreign country without a visa is, is traditionally very difficult. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty grateful for a lot of the travels that I've done and, and being able to kind of introduce uh, a lot of roasters to the folks that are producing the coffee that they roast. Um, and you kind of, it, it, they start to see it more as this partnership um, versus, you know, just coffee kind of going to a receiving station in their town and then never being seen again by them um, going off to somewhere foreign or not knowing who it's, it's being even purchased by. Um, so I think that our, our business, our company, the exporters that we work with, are also a little bit different. I mean, specialty coffee in general is different than the global coffee commodity trade, which in a lot of cases can be pretty dangerous to the environment, to people. And, and that's why we do what we do, you know. When we come back in just a moment, what does Omar get excited about? What does he like seeing come out of Origins? What are the challenges that we see at Origin? And, and what countries are more prone to these issues? We'll be right back. This is Kenneth Thomas, and you're listening to Coffee 101. In talking with Omar today, we talked a lot about Colombian coffee. If you're looking for great Colombian coffee, look no further than Front Runner. This is Humble Coffee's flagship medium roast. It's nutty in flavor with kind of those caramel notes, graham cracker, marshmallow, it's what you would expect from a house roast, but it's a single origin. It's from the Nariño region. And Humble Coffee, they choose specifically the Nariño region because of its elevation. The elevation gives more complexity to the cup of coffee, which means there's more bells and whistles that go off in your mouth when you're drinking it. Not literal bells and whistles going off in your mouth, but you know what I mean. They also have a decaf. For all you decaf drinkers out there from Columbia, Humble Coffee's decaf is called Downshift. If you're looking for Front Runner or Downshift, just go to humblecoffee.com or click on the link in the show notes. Now, let's get back to it. Hey, welcome back to Coffee 101. I'm Kenneth Thomas. Today, we're talking to Omar Herrera from Cafe Imports. And I had a few questions that I wanted to kind of pitch at him. One was, Omar, as a importer, what gets you excited? Yeah, so I think uh, one of the things that I like seeing is people taking responsibility. Okay. Um, and I think that that kind of goes across the whole supply chain. So what really gets me excited is when I see an exporter or a producer group um, kind of taking on risk and taking on responsibility so that maybe the producer doesn't have to. That extends down to roasters as well. Um, we've got a variety of different programs out there. Without going into too much detail, 
One of them is our farm select program that allows roasters to partner up with coffee producers and essentially buy their full production. We're doing this with our export partners out there, Ban Export. Um, they're based in Popayan, Cauca, down in Colombia. Uh, and basically, they've developed a system in which, yeah, roasters can go uh, potentially meet this person. They don't, they don't necessarily have to. Um, but they can say, I want to partner with producer X. And producer X, I know, develops or and, and, and grows a wide variety of qualities on their farm. And instead of me saying as a roaster, I only want the nicest coffee that this person grows, what they can say is that I want to take all of it. Yeah. And I want to take it at one fixed price, um, even the really good stuff, even the really bad stuff. And to be honest, it's not bad anyway. If it's yeah. going to be exported, it's at minimum very good quality. Right. Um, and, and basically allows them to develop this relationship that is kind of through thick and thin. Um, so that kind of stuff, seeing those types of developments, I mean, there's always new varieties, new processing methods, young producers, older producers, learning new things. Um, a, a lot of, a lot of that really cool stuff, but what I really, really like to see is when companies like ours, companies like yours, companies like Ban Export, exporting companies really start to take on more responsibility and risk on their end. Um, you know, if we look back at how coffee started, how specialty coffee started, I'm really grateful for it because it has provided a livelihood for so many people right. in the United States, in Europe, and in coffee producing countries. It's provided decent incomes for these producers and it's provided an avenue for these coffees to shine to consumers. Um, but we have done that in a way that's also kind of exclusive, you know? where we're only saying we have this one through 100 rating score system. And we're only saying, you know, we want coffees as close to a hundred points as possible. Yeah. Uh, where we're rewarding people basis on quality and not necessarily the hard work that's being done. Right. Um, so whenever I see someone kind of moving their place, I think a little bit sooner in the supply chain to be able to absorb more risk, to be able to mitigate what happens, you know, when a producer doesn't have the quality that, you know, someone on the other end is looking for. That's the kind of stuff that really, really gets me excited. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's good. We had an episode that we did on like really kind of diving deep on how you define uh, specialty coffee. And one of the things we talked about was everybody having a, it, it being, equitable and sustainable for everybody in that process. Um, and it takes, I think, like you're saying, relationships and everybody knowing everybody because it's a whole heck of a lot harder to, like, shortchange somebody if, if like, you know them. Um, right. And, and you, you actually, you know, you have some kind of interest um, in, in their livelihood um, and we've even talked about the land, you know, and making making sure that that we take care of the land and, and it also being, you know, sustainable um, long term. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I think that's good. That's cool. Um, OK, I've got another question. Go through for me, like how long it is from, say, the when a coffee is processed after it's been harvested to then 
when it gets to, on average, the exporter warehouses, uh, kind of the ups and downs of, and the challenges from an importer standpoint, sometimes getting these coffees out, you know, and, and kind of that timeline. And then overall, like how, what we are calling a good coffee, how long can a good coffee be stored green, you know, before we say, eh, maybe it's losing a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, coffee lasts a long time. It also has a very, very long life cycle before it finally gets consumed. Um, so to answer your question about green coffee, how long that might last after it's been imported, I think legally it's one year or 12 months Yeah. Uh, in most cases. You know, if we're going to export that coffee again from the United States, it'll consider, it, it'll have its date of expiry as the date that it entered the United States. Now that doesn't speak to its lifetime before that, right? right. Um, in a lot of cases, we are drinking coffee here stateside nine to 12 months from when it was harvested and processed. Um, once a coffee is harvested, it's usually processed that same day or the next day or within that same five-day period. The coffee then gets processed and fermented for, I mentioned those fermenting hours a little bit earlier. Um, for, you know, in a lot of cases, up to 50 hours, 60 hours, 70, in some wild cases, uh, weeks, you know. Yeah. Um, and once that happens, once the coffee is kind of in its ready to export stage, it still has to be dried. So it's not ready to export um, to a certain moisture content that allows it to be exported. Um, that drying and kind of resting period sometimes takes two to three months. And a lot of producers believe that that's super crucial for that coffee, maintaining its stability and, and livelihood for months after. Let me, let me jump in real quick. Then I'm going to have you continue. Um, that moisture content, you know, a lot of times for us on the back end is minimizing the risk of mold, um, you know, in, in, in that coffee being storable, um, so I know usually we're looking at what, 10 to 12%. That's exactly correct. I think, uh, the parameters in Colombia are a little bit tighter for our export partners. It's about 10.5 to 11, uh, sometimes 11.5. Um, so a producer knows that they need to have their coffee dried that way by the time they come down the, into the town to deliver it. Right. Um, and of course things like heavy rains, uh, monsoon season, things like that can delay or, or prolong that drying for weeks, especially because most producers in a country like Colombia don't have access to mechanical dryers or uh, ways that make their coffee dry faster. Um, so once the coffee is dried, it's bagged, again, rested, kind of grouped together, bagged and rested at the farm still for up to a month in some cases. Um, so yeah, the coffee is then, you know, taken into, uh, a purchasing station or an exporter, whoever's doing local purchasing on the ground, that coffee is cupped. It is also, uh, goes through a physical analysis where they're looking for things like defects, yeah. small beans, chipped, cracked. It goes through a screen size sorter. Um, and then that will kind of dictate how much of this coffee that they delivered is exportable. 
Um, and so typically a yield factor of around 87, and this isn't super important, um, but typically around a yield factor of 87 is considered kind of perfect, meaning that, that for 87 kilos of parchment of coffee that's ready to be exported, but not quite milled and all of that, um, for 87 kilos, that will net one bag of Colombian exportable coffee, which is 70 kilos. Okay. Um, so that's kind of what that translation is. The coffees are then offered to us at Cafe Imports. We try to find homes for them before they even leave the country, before they're even milled out of their parchment. Um, that can take a couple of weeks. And then we figure out how to ship it and where to ship it to, uh, which can take a couple of weeks, sometimes even months. Um, in the current state of things with, you know, container shortage shortages and supply chain uh, delays, logistic yeah. delays, um, and that's something that's also very persistent. Um, that can also delay things by a month, two months, sometimes three months. Um, so we're talking, you know, at most, I think physically possible. If you're air freighting coffee, if you're bypassing the whole month it takes to get from Colombia to a port in the United States and the two weeks it takes to get inland, um, six months is the most you can get a coffee as quickly, you know, unless you're like smuggling it into your luggage and yeah. doing processing yourself, which you're not supposed to do, which you're not supposed to do. Correct. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, you know, at one point on the opposite end of that, that I want to make sure our one one ers uh, know is that when we're talking about, oh, well, this might be a month and this might be three months and stuff like that. The green coffee stays fresh much, much, much longer than roasted coffee. Um, so do not let that scare you away from specialty coffee. This is this is kind of the standard as far as um, there's just a lot of moving parts, and some of it you can't control, um, all the way from the weather to these government, you know, the different governments and dealing with exporters, and um, you just... Um, there's just a lot of moving parts, but it does not mean that the that the coffee um, is is stale or is past its prime in any way. Um, it is very what I would call shelf stable uh, as a green coffee for months and months. And there's a lot of cases in which coffee actually arrives tasting better than yeah. when it was offered to us. Yeah, it's like a bonus. Three months before. Yeah, it is a it is a bonus, uh, and and I think a lot of that is is again because coffee is a raw agricultural product and it has a moisture content that dictates its kind of like volatility, its chemical makeup. Yeah, um, I think a lot of that kind of resting, a lot of that time that it does take for it to get to you and then be roasted, is very beneficial to the coffee. Um, there is eventually a point where it starts to diminish. Uh, and then we, we typically taste coffees that are left in our warehouse um, every two to three months. So we taste the coffee when, it, when it's offered to us. We taste the coffee before it's ready to leave the port in Columbia. We taste the coffee when it arrives to Minneapolis, Minnesota. And then we're tasting that same coffee every two to three months. Um, if there is a situation where a coffee then starts to show signs of age. Yeah. Uh, that's a problem. We usually will discount that. We will tell our customers that, hey, the coffee that you're maybe contracted into or that you've been buying for a long time 
is now showing signs of age. Um, there, that's also not to say that that coffee is not good, right? Um, again, just baseline by the fact that it, it's been exported, most coffees that exist here are going to be very, very good. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, one thing I was thinking about when you were talking about that is, I mean, y- y- that's a lot of cupping. And, you know, I know you can spit it out when you're cupping, but I mean, do, do you have times when like, you're like, ooh, I think I had a little too much caffeine today. Oh yeah. All the time. <laughs> I mean, I think even if you're spitting it out, you're still getting some of the residue. Still absorbing. Well, listen, yeah. I've got one last question, maybe two, but at least one, um, before I let you go. If you could make every country a stable government, great export, trade system, you know, all of the little bells and whistles and cogs are in place, where would you love to try some coffee from? Yeah, I don't think I'm done tasting coffees from Colombia. Yeah. So okay. I, I think that if I could make everything perfect there, I would. It would yeah. make my life a lot easier. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, but I think that just the general the, the diversity that they have in flavor profiles and different processing methods, um, I feel like I'm just getting started and I've been doing this for a while. Well, and you know, I look at like when you look at coffee history, even there, Colombia, Brazil, and some others are having, you know, El Salvador strong as far as coffee production, you know, these days. Um, but there are places that aren't producing as much, if if any, that historically have. Um, and, and I just, you know, I would love to see, um, you know, some different, you know, origins. Because there's, if you look at a map, uh, there are several places that theoretically, you know, could grow coffee. But then it also goes back to what we talked about earlier and what you pointed out is how much does that origin make a difference? And I think it does make a difference um, because in that origin, we're also tying in, like you said, the culture of, you know, in this city, they, um, they you know, have this out for 48 hours and, you know, and here they let it ferment for 72 hours and that's just always how they've done it. Um, you know, so stuff like that um, is cool. Any parting words, any wisdom, anything you want to say to, to our one-on-oneers out there? Um, I guess just keep learning about coffee. The more that we all learn about it, the better it becomes for everybody. Awesome. Well, it's a blast to have y'all on Omar and Cafe Imports. Uh, we will put a link for Cafe Imports down in the show notes. Uh, they do a fantastic job of getting relationships built between the farmers all the way to the roasters and even the coffee shops and baristas and and further on hopefully even now to you the consumers um, you can go check out their website you can even see pictures of these farms and the farmers and um, the real kind of what we call boots on the ground they have stuff like that there as well as uh, stories from origin if you want to uh, learn any more. So, Omar, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks a lot, Kenneth. We would love for you to help us out. If you've been enjoying the show, we'd love, love, love for you to leave us a five-star rating and make sure you follow us wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that's Apple, 
Spotify, Stitcher, wherever. All you got to do is hit that little plus button or the follow button, and boom, you will just get crazy coffee knowledge delivered to you once a week. It's easy. Follow us on social media, at Humble Coffee. 101ers out there, what do you want to hear about? Or would you like to be on the show? Leave us a review and let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Kenneth Thomas, and this is Coffee 101, brought to you by Humble Coffee Company. Coffee.